Chapter Seven of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adelda Pinoroles. Chapter Seven: We Circumvent the Natives. We arose on the following morning at the dawn of day and began to make preparation for our departure. To our satisfaction, we found the king quite willing that we should go. So, embarking our goods in one of the native canoes, we ordered our negroes to embark and commenced our journey amid the firing of guns and the good wishes of the natives i must confess that i felt some probings of conscience at the thought of the double part we were compelled to play but the recollection of the horrid fate that awaited the poor negro girl put to flight such feelings and induced a longing for the time of action to arrive i have more than once referred to our goods perhaps it may be as well to explain that when we first landed on the african coast we made inquiries of those who were best acquainted with the nature and requirements of the country we were about to explore as to what goods we ought to purchase of the traders in order to be in a position to pay our way as we went along for we could not of course expect the savages to feed us and lodge us and help us on our way for nothing after mature consideration we provided ourselves with a supply of such things as were most necessary and suitable such as tobacco powder and shot and ball a few trade guns several pieces of brightly colored cloth packages of beads some white enameled others of colored glass coffee and tea knives scissors rings and a variety of other knick-knacks these with a little brandy to be used medicinally our blankets and camp cooking utensils formed a heavy load for ten men but of course as we advanced the load was lightened by the consumption of our provisions and the giving away of goods the additions which i made however in the shape of stuffed specimens began in the course of time to more than counterbalance the disadvantage being resolved to impress the natives with respect for our physical powers we made a point of each carrying a pretty heavy load on our journeys excepting of course when we went out a-hunting but to return our crew worked willingly and well so that ere night closed in upon us we were a considerable distance away from the village as the sun set we landed and ordering our men to advance in the canoe to a certain bend in the river and there encamp and await our return we landed and went off into the woods as if to search for game now makarooroo quick march and if don't draw rein till we reach the cave said jack when we were out of sight of the canoe our guide obeyed in silence and for the next two hours we travelled through the woods at a sort of half trot that must have carried us over the ground at the rate of five miles an hour the pace was indeed tremendous and i now reaped the benefit of those long pedestrian excursions which for years past i had been taking with scientific ends in view over the fields and hills of my native land jack and peterkin seemed both to be made of iron and incapable of suffering from fatigue but i have no doubt that the exciting and hazardous nature of the expedition on which we had embarked had much to do with our powers of endurance after running and doubling gliding and leaping through dense woods as i have said for two hours we arrived at a broken rocky piece of ground over which we passed and eventually came upon a thick jungle that concealed a vast cliff almost entirely from view the cracking of the bushes as we approached showed that we had disturbed the slumbers of more than one of the wild beasts that inhabited the spot here makarooroo paused and although it was intensely dark i could observe that he was trembling violently come mac said i in a whisper surely you who have received a christian education do not really believe that devils inhabit the spot me no massa ever since me be a pickaninny me fraid horribly fraid o dat cave come come said jack impatiently we have no time for fears of any kind this night think of okandaga mac and be a man 
this was sufficient the guide pushed boldly forward and led us to the mouth of a large cavern at which he halted and pointed to the gloomy interior you have the matches peterkin quick strike a light it is getting late said jack in another moment a light was struck and with it we kindled three goodly sized torches with which we had provided ourselves holding these high over our heads we entered the cavern jack first peterkin second i next and the terrified negro in the rear we had scarcely entered and were peering upwards at the black vault overhead when an indescribable rushing sound filled the air of the cavern and caused the flame of our torches to flicker with such violence that we could not see any object distinctly we all came to a sudden pause and i confess that at that moment a feeling of superstitious dread chilled the blood in my veins before we could discover the cause of this strange effect several large black objects passed through the air near our heads with peculiar and muffled noise next instant the three torches were extinguished unable to command himself any longer the negro uttered a cry of terror and turned to fly but jack whose wits seemed always prepared for any emergency had foreseen the probability of this and springing quickly after him threw his arms round his neck and effectually prevented his running away the noise caused by the scuffle seemed to arouse the fury of all the evil spirits of the place for a perfect hurricane of whirring sounds raged around us for a few seconds it's only bats cried jack look alive peterkin another light in a few seconds the torches were rekindled and we advanced into the cavern and mac after recovering from his fright and learning the cause thereof became much bolder the cave was about a hundred yards deep by f about fifty wide but we could not ascertain its height for the light of our torches failed to penetrate the deep gloom overhead it was divided into two natural chambers the outer being large the inner small a mere recess in fact in this latter we planted our torches and proceeded with our hasty preparations peterkin was ready first we endeavoured to make ourselves as like to the natives in all respects as possible and when i looked at my companions i was obliged to confess that except in the full blaze of the torchlight i could not discern any point of difference between them and our guide now then jack said peterkin as you're not quite ready and i am i shall employ myself in preparing a little plan of my own which i intend to put in force if the savages dare to venture into the cavern after us very good but see that you finish it in less than five minutes for i'll be ready in that time peterkin immediately poured out a large quantity of powder on a flat rock and mingling it with a little water from a pool near by converted it into a semi-moist ball this he divided into three parts and forming each part into the shape of a tall cone laid the whole carefully aside there said he lie you there until you are wanted at this moment while jack and i were bending down fastening the latchet of our shoes our ears were saluted with one of the most appalling yells i had ever listened to makarooroo fell flat to the earth in his fright and my own heart chilled with horror while jack sprang up and instinctively grasped the handle of his hunting knife very good said peterkin as he stood laughing at us quietly and we immediately perceived that it was he who uttered the cry why what mean you said jack almost angrily surely this is no time for foolish jesting i'm anything but jesting jack i'm only rehearsing another part of my plan but you ought to give us warning when you are about to do such startling things said i remonstratively nay that would have not done at all because then i should not have known what effect my cry is likely to produce on unexpectant ears well now are you all ready inquired jack then let us go 
Issuing forth, armed with only our double-barreled guns and heavy hunting knives, we hastened toward the native village. When within a hundred yards of the edge of the wood that skirted it, we stopped to pull off our shoes, for it was necessary that we should have nothing about our persons to tell who we were should anyone chance to see us as we ran. We also left our rifles beside the shoes at a spot where we could find them in an instant in passing, and then slowly approached the outskirts of the village. Presently we heard the hum of distant voices shouting, and the fear that the scene of bloodshed had already begun induced us to quicken our pace to a smart run. I never saw a man so deeply affected as was our poor guide, and when I looked at him I felt extremely anxious lest his state of mind should unfit him for acting with needful caution. We gained the first cottages. They were empty. The village having recently been built, no stockade had yet been thrown around it, so our progress was unimpeded. "'We must be very cautious now,' observed Jack in a whisper. "'Restrain yourself, Makaruru. Okandaga's life depends on our coolness.' On reaching the back of the next hut, which was also empty, Jack motioned to us to halt, and coming close to us looked earnestly in each of our faces without saying a word. I suppose that, like a wise general, he was reviewing his troops, seeing whether the men he was about to lead into battle were fit for their work. "'Now,' he said rapidly, "'it's evident from the shouting that's going on that they won't waste much time with their palaver. The hut in which she is confined is not fifty yards off. I took care to ascertain its position before leaving this morning. What we have to do is simple. Spring on the guards and knock them down with our fists or the hilts of our hunting knives, or with bits of stick, as suits us best. But mind!' Here he looked pointedly at our guide. No shedding of blood if it can be avoided. These men are not our enemies. Follow me in single file. When I halt, come up into line. Let each single out the man nearest to him, and when I hold up my hand, spring like wildcats. If there happen to be five or six guards instead of four, leave the additional ones to me. We merely nodded assent, and in another minute were close upon the prison. Peterkin, Mac, and I had provided us with short, heavy bludgeons on our way. These we kept in our right hands. Our left hands we kept free either to grasp our opponents with or to draw our knives if necessary. Jack carried his long knife. It might almost have been termed a short sword, in his left hand, and from the manner in which he clinched his right I saw that he meant to make use of it as a principal weapon. On gaining the back of the house we heard voices within, but we could see nothing, so we moved softly around to the front, keeping, however, well behind the screen of bushes. Here Jack halted, and we ranged up alongside of him and peeped through the bushes. The hut was quite open in front, and the interior was brightly lighted by a strong fire, round which the four guards, stout fellows all of them, were seated with their spears beside them in the ground. They were conversing in an excited tone, and taking no notice of Okandaga, who sat behind them partially in the shade, her face buried in her hands. She was not tied in any way as the guards knew well enough that she could not hope to escape them by mere running away. One rapid glance showed us all this, and enabled us to select our men. Then Jack gave the signal, and without an instant's hesitation we darted upon them. I know not in what manner my comrades acted their part. From the moment I set eyes on the negro nearest to me, my blood began to boil. Somehow or other I saw Jack give the signal without taking my eyes off my intended victim. Then I sprang forward, and he had barely time to look up in alarm when I struck him with all my force on the right temple. He fell without a groan. I looked round instantly, and there lay the other three, with my companion standing over them. Our plan had been so well concerted and so promptly executed that the four men fell almost at the same instant and without a cry. 
Poor Okandaga leaped up and uttered a faint scream of alarm, but Makarura's voice instantly reassured her, and with an exclamation of joy she sprang into his arms. There was no time for delay. While the scene I have described was being enacted, the shouts in the centre of the village had been increasing, and we guessed that in a few minutes more the bloodthirsty executioners would come for their helpless victim. We therefore left the hut at once, and ran as fast as we could towards the place where our guns and shoes had been left. Our guide seized Okandaga by the wrist and dragged her along, but indeed she was so nimble that at first she required no assistance. In a short time, however, we were obliged to slacken our pace in order to enable her to keep up. We reached the guns in safety, but while we were in the act of lifting them, a burst of wild cries that grew louder and fiercer as they approached told that the natives were rushing tumultuously towards the prison. "'Now, lads,' said Jack, "'we must put on full speed. Mac, take a right hand. Here, Okandaga, your left.' At that instant there was a shout in the village, so loud that we knew the escape had been discovered. An indescribable hubbub followed, but we soon lost it in the crackling of the underwood as we burst through it in our headlong flight towards the cave. The poor girl, feeling that her life depended upon it, exerted herself to the utmost, and with the aid of Jack and her lover kept well up. "'She'll never hold out to the end,' said Peterkin, glancing over his shoulder as he ran. The cries of the savages filled the woods in all directions, showing that they had instantly scattered themselves in the pursuit, in order to increase their chances of intercepting us. We had already traversed the greater part of the wood that lay between the village and the haunted cavern, when the two negroes, who must have taken a shorter route, descried us. They instantly uttered a yell of triumph and followed us at full speed, while from the cries closing in upon us we could tell that the others had heard and understood the shout. Just then Okandaga's strength began to fail, and her extreme terror, as the pursuers gained upon us, tended still further to increase her weakness. This was all the more unfortunate that we were now almost within a couple hundred yards at the mouth of the cave. Makaruru spoke encouragingly to her, but she was unable to reply, and it became evident that she was about to sink down altogether. Jack glanced over his shoulder. The two negroes were within fifty yards of us, but no others were in sight. "'Hold my gun!' said Jack to me sharply. I seized it. He instantly stooped down, grasped Bok and Daga round the waist, and without stopping swung her, with an exertion of strength that seemed to me incredible, into his arms. We gained the mouth of the cavern. Jack dropped Oak and Daga, who immediately ran in, while the rest of us stopped abruptly and faced about. "'Back, all of you!' cried Jack, "'else they will be afraid to come on.' The words had scarcely passed his lips when the two negroes came up, but halted a few yards from the mouth of the cave on seeing such a giant form guarding the entrance. To let those men escape and reveal the place of our concealment was not to be thought of. Jack darted about upon them. They separated from each other as they turned to fly. I was peeping out of the cave and saw that Jack could not secure them both. I therefore darted out, and quickly overtaking one, seized him by the hair of his head and dragged him into the cave with the aid of Peterkin. Jack lifted the other savage completely from the ground and carried him struggling in his grip like a child in its nurse's arms. The last episode was enacted so quickly that the two negroes were carried into the cavern and gagged before the other pursuers came up. At the cave's mouth the whole of the men of the village shortly assembled with the king at their head. Thus far the excitement of the chase had led them, but now that the first burst of their rage was over, and they found themselves on the threshold of that haunted cavern, the fear of which had been an element in their training since infancy, they felt, no doubt, overawed by a superstitious dread, and hesitated to enter, although most of them must have been convinced that the fugitives were there. 
their fears increased as their anger abated and they crowded round king jabai who seemed loath to take upon himself the honour of leader you must have sought shelter here said the king pointing to the cavern and looking round with an assumption of boldness which he was evidently far from feeling who among my warriors will follow me perhaps the evil spirits have carried them away suggested one of the sable crew that is the word of a coward cried the king who although somewhat timorous about spirits was in reality a bold brave man and felt nettled that any of his warriors should sow the white feather if any evil spirits are there our fetish man will drive them away let the doctor stand forth at that moment the doctor worthy knave must have wished in his inmost soul that he had remained quietly at home and left to warriors the task of capturing the fugitives but there was no resisting the mandate of the king besides his honour and credit as a fetish man was at stake moreover no doubt he felt somewhat emboldened by the presence of such a large number of men there were certainly several hundreds on the ground so all things considered he thought it best to accept the post of leader with a good grace stepping quickly forward he cried let the torches be brought and i will lead the way a murmur of approbation ran through the crowd of blacks who like a flock of sheep felt bold enough to follow a leader blindly while the consultation was going on outside we were making hasty preparation for defending ourselves to the last extremity peterkin in particular was extremely active and to say truth his actions surprised us not a little i once or twice fancied that excitement had turned his brain he first dressed up his head in a species of wild turban made of dried grass and tall sedgy leaves then he put several patches of red and white earth on his black face as well as on his body in various places and fastened a number of loose pieces of rag torn from a handkerchief and bits of tattered leaves to his arms and legs in such a manner as to give him an extremely wild and dishevelled appearance i must say that when his hasty toilet was completed he seemed to me the most horrible-looking demon i had ever conceived of he next poured out nearly a whole flask of gunpowder on the edge of a rock the edge of which was visible from the entrance of the cave while the rock itself concealed him from view last of all he took up the three cones of moistened gunpowder which the reader will remember he had made before we left the cave to attack the village one of these he placed among the grass and branches on his head the other two he held in his hands now boys he said when all was ready all i have to ask of you is that you will stand by me with matches and when i give the word like the points of those three cones of gunpowder simultaneously and instantly and leave me to finish the remainder of my part of course you will be prepared to back me up with your rifles if need be but keep well out of sight at first we now saw the drift of our eccentric friend's intention but for my part i felt little confidence in his success the plan seemed altogether too wild and absurd but our danger was imminent no way of escape seemed possible and it is wonderful how readily men will grasp at anything in the shape of a ruse or stratagem no matter how silly or wild that affords the most distant chance of escape from danger jack too i could see from the look of his face put little faith in the plan and i observed an expression on the countenance of our negro guide which seemed to indicate that his respect for peterkin's wisdom was on the wane we had not to wait long the doctor with several torch-bearers suddenly darted in with a shout followed closely by the warriors who yelled furiously in order no doubt to keep up their courage alarmed by such an unusual hubbub in their usually quiet domain the bats came swooping from their holes in the walls by hundreds and the torches were extinguished almost instantly the savages who were near the entrance drew back in haste those who had entered stood rooted to the spot in terror now whispered peterkin eagerly 
we struck our lights at once and applied them to the points of the gunpowder cones which instantly began to spout forth a shower of sparks with great violence peterkin darted out behind the rock from the yell so appalling we ourselves were startled by it having forgotten that it formed an element in his plan in passing he allowed a few sparks to fall on the heap of powder which exploded with so bright a flame that the whole cavern was illuminated for an instant it also set fire to the ragged scraps with which peterkin had decked himself out a result which had neither been intended nor anticipated so that he rushed toward the mouth of the cave howling with pain as well as with a desire to scare the savages the result of this apparition was tremendous the negroes turned and crushed through the narrow entrance screaming and shrieking with terror the bats no less alarmed than the men and half suffocated with the smoke fled out of the cave like a whirlwind flapping their wings on the heads of the negroes in their flight and adding if that were possible to their consternation the negroes ran as never men ran before tumbling over each other in their mad haste dashing against trees and crashing through bushes in their terror while peterkin stood leaping in the cave's mouth smoking and blazing and spurting and unable to contain himself giving vent to prolonged peals of demoniacal laughter had the laugh been that of negroes it might have been recognized but peterkin's was the loud violent british guffaw which i make no doubt was deemed by them worthy of the fiends of the haunted cave and served to spur them on to the still greater rapidity of flight returning to the cave's innermost recess we lighted one of the torches dropped by the savages and placing it in a sort of natural niche seated ourselves on several pieces of rock to rest our first act was to look earnestly in each other's faces our next to burst into peals of laughter i say comrades i exclaimed checking myself don't we run some risk in giving vent to our feelings so freely no fear cried peterkin who was still smoking a little from unextinguished sparks there is not a man in the whole crew who will draw rein till he is sitting with the teeth still chattering in his head at his own fireside i never saw men in such a fright since i was born depend upon it we are safe enough here from this day forth don't you think so mac our guide who was now trying to reassure his trembling bride turned with a broad smile on his sable countenance and said safe oh yes massa there not be a man as'll come to this yer covern for de next three hundred years or more massa peterkin be de most horrible ghost dey ever did saw and no mistake but masses we must go away quick and get to our camp for de king's sure to go there and see if you know has something to do with it all him's a very clever man em jambai very clever him's no be bugummed very easy humbugged you mean said jack laughing you're right mac we must set off at once but what are we going to do with poor okandagan now that we have got her this was indeed a puzzling question it was impossible to take her to our camp and account to the negroes for her appearance in a satisfactory manner besides if jambai took it into his head to pursue us in order to ascertain whether we had had anything to do with the rescue our case would be hopeless it was equally impossible to leave her where she was and to let her try to make her escape through the woods alone was not to be thought of while we pondered this dilemma an idea occurred to me it seems to me said i that men are seldom perhaps never thrown into a danger or difficulty in the world without some way of escape being opened up which if they will but grasp at it promptly will conduct them at last out of their perplexities now it has just occurred to me that since everything else seems to be impossible we might send okandaga into the woods with makarooroo to guide and defend her and to hunt for her let them travel in a line parallel with the river route we intend to follow each night mac will make a secure shelter for her and then return to our camp as if he had come in from hunting each morning he will set off again into the woods as if to hunt 
rejoin Okandaga, and thus we will journey together, as it were. And when we reach the next tribe of natives, we will leave the girl in their charge till we return from the gorilla country. What do you think of that plan? Not a bad one, replied Jack. But if Mac is away all day, what are we to do for an interpreter? Make him describe to us and to the men the day's route before leaving us, suggested Peterkin. And as for talking, we can manage that well enough for all needful purposes by a mixture of the few phrases we know with signs. In the excitement of this whole affair, we had totally forgotten our two prisoners, who lay not far from us on the gown, gagged and pinioned. We were now reminded of their presence rather abruptly. We must have secured their fastenings badly, for during the time we were conversing they managed to free themselves and made a sudden dash past us. Jack's eye fortunately caught sight of them in time. He sprang up, rushed at the one nearest him, and throwing out his foot as he passed, tripped him up. It chanced that at this spot there was a deep hole in the floor of the cavern. Into this the poor wretch plunged head first, and he was killed on the spot. Meanwhile the other gained the outlet of the cave, and almost escaped into the forest when Makarura darted after him with the speed of an antelope. In a few seconds we heard a cry, and shortly after our guide returned with his knife clotted with blood. He had overtaken and slain the other negro. I cannot convey to the reader the horror that filled me and my two companions at this uninspected and melancholy termination of the affair. Yet we felt that we were guiltless of rashly spilling human blood, for Jack had no intention of killing for Jack had no intention of killing the poor negro whom he tripped up, and as for the other, we could not have prevented our guide from doing what he did. He himself deemed it justifiable, and said that if that man had escaped to the village, and had told who it was that had frighted them out of the cave, they would certainly have come back and murdered us all. There was truth in this. Still we could not feel but overwhelmed with sadness at the incident. We were now doubly anxious to get away from this cave, so we rapidly finished the discussion of our plan, and Jack arranged that he should accompany what may be termed the overland part of our expedition. This settled, we washed the charcoal off our persons, with the exception of that on our faces, having been advised by King Jambai himself to hunt with black faces, as wild animals were quicker to perceive our white skins than their black ones. Then we resumed our garments, and quitting the haunted cavern, set out on our return journey to the camp. End of chapter 7 Recording by Adele Pinaroles.